to a Hope 103.2 podcast. Welcome to Australia's Invisible History, the podcast where we make the invisible visible. I'm Katrina Rowe, a Sydney-based broadcaster, author and storyteller. So many of us in Australia don't know our own history, including me. Many of the stories of Australia's heroes, pioneers and visionaries have been buried. We don't know their stories. We don't even know their names. In this podcast, we want to dig up some of their stories and light up their names, make them visible again. We'll meet Australians from every corner of the country, the city and the bush. Migrants and Indigenous Australians, men and women, nurses, doctors, activists, boxers, athletes, missionaries and ministers. Something these people all have in common is that their faith inspired them to work for the greater good and put others before themselves. Many of them have been long forgotten, even though their contribution lives on. So as you hear their stories, as we learn about their choices, their struggles and their successes, we hope you'll be inspired to keep the faith and join in the work of making the invisible visible. In today's episode, we're travelling to a small town called Gerildery in the southern Riverina of New South Wales, just north of the Victorian border. It's the place where Ned Kelly wrote his infamous Gerildery letter. There, we'll meet the minister and missionary who stood up to Ned Kelly. None other than Ned Kelly rode into town and took the whole town over, cut the wires, robbed the bank and took over the town. He's the preacher in town, and this is a little-known story, but he... Here's what's going on, walks down the street, sees Steve Hart holding up a girl, taking a horse. So he fronts him and he says, mate, that's not very manly to take a girl's horse, give it back. What a story. On his grave, he was remembered as the Blackfellow's friend. G'day and welcome to Invisible History with Katrina Rowe and Dr. Paul Rowe, the Outback Historian. Now, if you've not met Paul before, he is a storyteller from the back of Burke who wants to help us understand our shared heritage. He also happens to be my father-in-law. And Paul's done a thesis recently on making the invisible stories of our country visible. Paul, what do you mean by that phrase? Can you just explain a little bit about your thesis? Well, I cheated, really. I borrowed that from Dr. Stuart Piggin, who's Australia's number one Christian historian. But he, his argument was, look, our surface history is secular at the moment, but our subterranean history, if you like, is very Christian. And so it's been forgotten that that root system is there. So we need to bring these hidden stories to the surface so that Australia understands we're not forcing religion on them. We're telling them what their DNA is. For this one, our first episode, we're starting very close to home, for me at least. So I grew up sitting in a little church in the tiny Riverina town of Darlington Point. But this is quite personal for me, Paul, because, I mean, my parents are currently selling the family home there. So we're kind of saying goodbye, but this was a very big part of my growing up. And we used to go to church every week at the little Anglican church there, St. Paul's. And at the end of our pew, there was a plaque to the Reverend John Gribble with the inscription, the Blackfellow's friend. And 
when I was sitting there bored in church, as I often was as a child, um, <laughs> I used to wonder who the Reverend John Gribble was and why he was considered a friend to Aboriginal people. So today we're going to find out the story of this remarkable but not very well-known Australian. So first yes. of all, Paul, who was John Gribble and why was he known as the Blackfellas' friend? John, as a child growing up in Victoria in the mid-1800s, he was actually rescued uh, when he was lost. He was rescued by an Aboriginal lady and he never, ever forgot uh, that event and he became incredibly committed to helping what he considered the poor and oppressed uh, people of Australia, the Aboriginal people. And so he, he carved out quite a remarkable career in helping them right from start to finish. In the 1870s, towards the end of the 1870s, he was the Presbyterian preacher in Jerulu when none other than Ned Kelly rode into town and took the whole town over cut the wires, robbed the bank and took over the town. He's the preacher in town, and this is a little-known story, but he hears what's going on, walks down the street, sees Steve Hart holding up a girl, taking a horse. So he fronts him and he says, mate, that's not very manly to take a girl's horse, give it back. So Steve Hart pulled the gun on him, took his watch, while the Reverend Gribble straight off down to the pub, called Ned Kelly out and eyeballed him, and they stood eyeball to eyeball, and he said, uh, you know, your, your men, they're not behaving like men. Like, that's just, you're being thugs. Come on, give my watch back, give the girl the horse back, shape up. Well, eyeball to eyeball, Ned back down. And uh, so it's a story, a pretty rare one in Australia. You don't hear that one. And uh, then he moved from there to Darlington Point. He built uh, with his own hands, his own family built Warren Guest a mission, carved it out of the bush and uh, slogged away there to create what it was called, it was a conflation of a Hebrew word and an Aboriginal word, and it meant camp of mercy, a safe place for the Indigenous people because he saw what was happening to the girls have been taken by lonely blokes out there, and he saw what was happening, the brutal way they were being shot down. And so from all over the state, people would come there because it was one of the few sanctuaries, and he created the sanctuary there. Mm. And as well as setting up that mission, he also exposed um, the mistreatment of Aboriginal people who were being treated as slaves in some cases, uh, particularly in Western Australia. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, he went to Western Australia after he left uh, Darlington Point. Within six weeks, he started to report what he saw there, the way that Aboriginal people were being hunted down. They were being basically enslaved. They could be chained up. Uh, the girls could be taken by anybody. And he, he just was so appalled at it, he couldn't keep quiet. And very quickly he got offside with the main powers that be up there, the pastoral interests. He started to report it to, back to Perth. Well, they had influence there too. So along, it's a long story, but backwards and forwards it went. But he was shunned by the Carnarvon community, went to Perth and eventually ended up in a trial which, you know, in dubious circumstances he lost and had to leave the state in the hold of a ship, like uh, bereft and his, with his family, lost his reputation, lost his money, so came back what, to New South. What, what was the court case, you know, against? Like he was speaking out against the mistreatment of Aboriginal people. He sued the West Australian newspaper for calling him a lying religious cant, I think was the word they used. It was sort of a slanderous thing. So he took them to court for slander. Mm. The judge actually told him, I think you'll win this case. But when the pressure came on the judge, he buckled and the case went against him. So he left the state in disgrace. Yeah, right. And what happened to him after that? Well, you can. it's a picture of a very courageous man. So he came back with his family and he, he was a hard man in some ways. He, he sort of disciplined his family and 
He went briefly up to the Darling and started the mission probably at Bawarana, I think, near Burke. And then he moved, he sold his own um, insurance policy, went to North Queensland to what became Palm Island and started another mission there. But he got malaria and um, that was sort of the end of his his life really. It took him back to Sydney to recover and his son Ernest took over the, the mission and that's another story. But he died in Sydney and he was buried with an Aboriginal preacher there at his graveside and the little slogan was put on his grave, a little text, the, the black fellow's friend. But the interesting thing, Katrina, I think, when I think back on that story is he's the man, the man who fronted Ned Kelly, you know, <laughs> And he dies saying, I've given my life and resources and energies to helping the poor, oppressed black people of Australia. If I had 50 lifetimes, I'd do the same again. Mm. Um, Ned Kelly dies with a shrug saying, well, such is life. You know, we've made Ned Kelly, who was basically a thug really, made him the hero and this guy's forgotten, you know, and I think that's a, that's a really sad thing that that's happened. And maybe it's time we addressed that balance and said, He's a hero. Why do you think that John Gribble is worth remembering then? Well, when I think of the man, you know, he had minimal resources. He gave tremendous energy to whatever he did. He, he took, it was almost a solitary voice in some ways for, for the Indigenous people. Um, there weren't many like him and he was willing to really put his life on the line on their behalf. And uh, it cost him dearly, cost his family dearly. He ended up broke and probably unknown but nevertheless saying I would do the same again for the Indigenous people of Australia. So I think it's time blokes like that, um, not just because he was religious, I mean, his faith was very strong and that's what sustained him, but uh, as a man, as a citizen, as a real man of courage, he's up there in my estimation. Oh, thanks for telling us all about him. All those years I I never knew who he was and I sat right there in his church. (laughs) And you lived right next door to the Warren Gaze Commission, the Camp of Mercy, beautiful. A beautiful story, isn't it, really? Yeah. Thanks so much, Paul. That's the Outback historian, Dr. Paul Rowe. We've been talking about the missionary and activist John Gribble, known as the Blackfellow's friend. You can find Paul Rowe online at theoutbackhistorian.com.au. Thanks for listening to Episode 1 of Australia's Invisible History, the podcast where we make the invisible visible. In Episode 2, we meet an Aboriginal activist who was highly influential in the early days of the civil rights movement in Australia. There's a famous photograph of this little group of people standing there, mostly Aboriginal people, although some church leaders stood with them and some feminists and others communists, I think. That's quite a motley crew, but that was, they say, was the first identifiable moment when uh, the civil rights movement launched in a public sense, and that's where the platform for civil rights began. These days you can see a statue of Bill Ferguson taking pride of place in the main street of Dubbo. We'll share his story in Episode 2. enjoyed this episode of Australia's Invisible Histories, please do share and subscribe so we can keep on telling the stories. Plus, you can find more details and useful links in our show notes. 
1032. Thanks for listening.